Romans chapter 3. So try to catch everybody back up to speed here over the last couple weeks. We've seen the uh, idea or the fact that sin affects every part of our lives. Every detail, everything it affects. And it affects our relationship with God. Sin becomes between our soul and the Savior. And it's important that we keep our our soul and the Savior clean. Uh, We've seen in this passage particularly, it affects our mouth. Uh, We've seen in this passage, it affects our actions, how we act, what we do. We've seen in this passage that it affects um, our peace. We, We do not walk in the way of peace when we have sin in our life. And so if you're not having peace, better double check to see if there's sin in our life. It affects every part of our life. In fact, the Bible says a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And so a little sin will leaven the whole thing, will, will cause a, a great disruption in the whole life. I want to read to you Romans chapter 3, starting verse 10, just to give you a little context as to where we're going, what we're doing. The Bible says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And so now we see that it affects their eyes. We finished two weeks ago up to verse 17, so let's take a look today at verse 18 and try to study this verse this evening. Again, Paul uses David to point them to wickedness. Paul's view, this is actually Psalm uh, chapter 36 and verse 1. So Psalm chapter 36 is the direct, in fact, if you want to turn over there, we're going to uh, look over there. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Look at Psalm 36. You can see the, the prefix of Psalm 36, or the, uh, the title is to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. So this is David writing, and Paul is using this. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart. So I want you just to stop there. This is David writing, saying that this is a, a, uh, a characterization of what wickedness is. It's in their heart. And look what it says. The Bible says that there is no fear of God before his eyes. A wicked person has no fear of God before his eyes. But look at verse 2. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes, until his iniquity be found to be hateful. Okay, so notice this verse. There is no, no fear of God before their eyes. And then in verse 2 of Psalm 36, the Bible says he flattereth himself in his own eyes. So do you see the contrast? One is supposed to be looking at God and having God before his eyes, and the other has himself before his eyes. The fear of God is not before his eyes, but he flattereth himself with his eyes. If you will, this is a me-first mentality. 
I want to do what I want to do. That is ever before me. What I want to do is ever before me. It's I only care about myself. Fearing God, on contrast, is putting Him first. Putting Him before me. Putting Him before all of the things. He is first in everything I do. Fearing God is doing things with God in mind. We talked a little bit about this in our small groups and how fearing God ought to be every single moment of every single day having God in view, having God before our eyes. How would God respond to this? Uh, God, what should I do here? And uh, I'm tempted to sin. God, please protect me. Don't, don't allow me to sin. I, I have a thought in my mind. I'm casting that thought down and bringing it into captivity to the thought of Christ. And so I'm beginning to think through everything. I'm a walk with Him. I'm a walk in the Spirit so I do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, when God is ever before me, when God is before my eyes, that keeps sin away. It absolutely does. But the reality is the wicked flattereth himself in his own eyes. Ooh, I want that. Ooh, that will make me feel better. And I begin to flatter myself and think that I am something special. I am better. I am the good one. I am spectacular. Listen, this is important to this lesson. There's a reason why the the wicked man flatters himself. There's a reason why he thinks that he is something special. The reality is, this is so far away from what the Bible teaches, but here in Romans chapter 3 and verse 18, Paul is saying to the Roman church, listen, a sinner Sin, there is no fear of God in their eyes. Let me ask you a very pointed question. When you sin, when you choose to sin, are you fearing God at that moment? You're, you're, not even, you're probably not even thinking about it. If you are, you probably wouldn't sin. I, I, I mean, it, it, I remember growing up, okay? I always kind of constantly go, go back to this. And I remember fearing what my parents would think. I went to school, and I, I wish I could tell you every detail of my life, because you could probably guess, all right? It's just, I just, I wasn't the perfect child. Um, the, the tool that I'm using right now, thanks, Carrie, the tool that I'm using right now was the thing that got me in trouble the most, my mouth, constantly. Uh, if I ever got in trouble at school, my parents told me this, the moment I walked in the doors from kindergarten on up. If you get in trouble at school, you're going to get in more trouble at home. And they meant that. My parents were extremely consistent with that. And I hated it. They were very consistent with that. The first little bit, I remember, I remember again, past kindergarten, some of those things, but I remember, I remember trying to do, just do what I wanted to do, right? Let's test the waters, right? Every child does it. I'm in a new environment. I'm going to try something new. I'm going to test the waters. And sure enough, I'd get in trouble at school, and somehow my parents found out about it. I don't know how, but guess what? I got in trouble big time at home. I'll give you an example. Grade four. Um, <laughs> for some reason, I decided that that was the year I, I'm going to change. I'm going to be a little bit goofy. So I started in grade four being a little bit goofy, becoming the class clown. Grade five, we had this, uh, this um, 
field trip that we were going to go on, and it was all based on how well you do in class and how obedient you are and all of those different things, how many rules you break, right? And so I thought, this is, I can remember this so vividly. I remember thinking, I'm going to be just bad enough that I can't go on this field trip because I really didn't want to go, but not bad enough that they have to call my parents, right? I remember so, so vividly sitting at my desk thinking that. And so for several weeks, I got away with it. I, had, like, I would just get one point taken away a day, and that was enough, right? If you got two points taken away, man, you're in big trouble. But one point, ah, not that big of a deal, and I was really trying to work on this. And my teacher, can you believe it, she walked out into the parking lot one day and said, what's wrong with Johnny? Every single day this week, he has gotten a point taken away. And my mom let me have it. Guess what? I still didn't get to go to the, <laughs> to the field trip, and I got in trouble. It was not a good thing. Listen, so that began to shape who I was. After a little while, I began to realize it's probably not worth it. And so what, what actually happened was I began to fear my parents. I began to think with them in mind. And guess what? Guess what started happening? My behavior started to change. Oh, I, was, I still got in trouble. Don't get me wrong. I remember grade, I believe it was grade eight. I got in trouble. I know, that's, that's the theme of the story. I know. I got in trouble, and the teacher sat across the desk from me in another desk, and he said, and I was crying, grade eight, crying. And he said, why are you crying? I said, because I know that when I get home, I'm going to be in trouble. And he's like, well, maybe you should have thought of that before. I'm like, thank you. Like, you should have told me that long ago. But the reality is, I, it began to shape how I acted. I had my parents in front of me. My parents were extremely consistent with that. But when we sin, we are living with ourselves in view. We aren't looking down the road to see how our actions are going to affect. How they're going to affect God. How they're going to affect our relationship with God. When we sin, we disregard the fact that God hates sin. When we sin, we disregard the fact that God is going to deal with our sin. When we sin, we disregard the fact that we are going to pay for that sin. We are going to pay for that sin. We are only living with our lives in view, and this is what a sinner is. Romans chapter 3 and verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes because they only have themselves in view. There is no fear of God before the eyes of a sinner. So let me ask this question. Why do you think Paul wanted the church at Rome to see their wickedness? Why do you think Paul spent nine verses specifically? I mean, he spent Romans chapter 1, really Romans chapter 2 as well, and now specifically 10 to 18, describing the depth of sin. Why do you think he's doing this? Why do you think he's going through all this trouble just to describe sin? Why do you think he's going through all the trouble telling them, listen, how bad they are? I believe this. Every single one of us need to understand the depth of sin. Not just, nah, yeah, I know that, but to truly understand it. We need to understand exactly what sin does, but now I want you to notice verse 19. 
The Bible says this. Now we know that whatsoever, what, what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. Why? Watch this. That every mouth may be stopped. And all the world may become ooh, guilty before God. So this whole time he's been talking to the Jews, the whole time he's been saying, listen, Jews, you think you're wonderful. Uh, verse Chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, what advantage then hath the Jew? And he begins going through, so the context of this is all about Jews, and then he says, the things that were written in the law were written that every mouth may be stopped, and that all the world may become guilty before God. So the law was written so that no one, no one could declare their own righteousness. No one, again, verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. And the law is the proof of that. The law is the proof of that. They could not speak another thing. When someone is guilty and they know it, what excuse do they have? Their mouth is stopped. In Nehemiah chapter 5, in our small groups, we're talking like Nehemiah kind of pins them to the wall. And he says, this is what you guys are doing. And guess what? They could not answer. They're guilty. They knew it. When my parents sit me down and say, my, your teacher told us that you were talking in school. Yep. What else am I going to say? I'm pinned to the wall. I've got no other answer. My mouth has stopped. I am guilty. There's nothing else for them to say. And this is what the law was intended to do. The law was given and intended so that people's mouths would be stopped and that every person would become guilty before God, realizing there is no way that we could ever measure up to God. And the law was written to show us that. This is at least, at least the third time that Paul has made comment of our absolute guilt. This is the third time up until this point in each chapter, Romans chapter 1, I'll show you, Romans chapter 1, verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse guilty. No more excuses. Romans chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable. No other, no other excuse, O man. Whosoever thou judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same things. You are inexcusable. And we find here again in verse 19 that we are become guilty. We have no other options we are all of these things. We all have to just say, yep, sin. Sin. We are inexcusable. We are without excuse. We are all guilty before God. So listen, this is, this is the depth of our sin. We think and we flatter ourselves with our own eyes. And God and Paul are saying, you are nothing. You are guilty. You have nothing else to say. So flatter yourself all you want. 
but it is all guilt. How does the law do this? How does the law do this? Well, let's go back to Exodus chapter 20. How does the law make us guilty before God? Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, look with me in verse 1. The Bible says this, And God spake all these words, saying, Actually, look at verse 25 of chapter 19. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. So he's up on top, top of the mount, receives the law of God, and then comes back down and speaks unto them and says, this is what God said, chapter 20, verse 1. Verse 2 says, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Verse 3, thou shalt have no other gods before me. We could stop right there, couldn't we? Guilty. Guess what? Guess what I did today? I lived my life the way that I wanted to. There were things in my life today. Oh, but I went to church today. There were things that I did in my life today that gave me preeminence over God. Guilty. That's just number one. And if you're honest, you're the same way. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. Maybe not such a big deal in North American society, but other societies there are. A graven images all over the place. Verse 5. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me, and keep my commandments. Verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Again, you can debate all you want here. But all of us have done something to this extent at some point in our life. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And in it thou shalt do, not do any work thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Anybody guilty of overworking? The Bible commands rest. I know many people are workaholics. Overworking. Verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Oh, we think that's for kids, right? Kids, we use this with our kids. Maybe you don't, but we do. <laughs> um, honor your father and your mother. Obey them. That, obey your parents. Children, obey your parents. Give them honor. Don't talk to your mother that way. Right? That's the one I got all the time. Again, my mouth getting me in trouble. Don't, don't do that. These are things that we think. But listen, are you, as a, as a grown adult, even a senior adult, are you still honoring your parents? I didn't all the time. I try to now. 
but I didn't. I've broken that commandment. Thou shalt not kill. I'm pretty sure I'm good on that one. Unless I did something in my sleep one time. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I, I'm good on that one. Thou shalt not steal. I've stolen. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. I've done that. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's spouse or house, excuse me. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. That's just Ten Commandments. Anybody living up to those? Anybody confess that they have done those perfectly? No. Just Ten Commandments. If you say, I can do some of those, can you do them all the time? Every single day? Every moment of every single day? That's what the law requires. Oh, but on top of that, we have dietary laws. What you can and cannot eat. The reason is God wants his children to be clean. You're not allowed to eat unclean animals. Dietary laws. We have religious ceremonial days to remember what God had done for his children. We have physical laws about what you can and cannot do with your body. Again, keeping his people pure and clean. We have familial laws. Again, to keep the home running smoothly and efficiently. We have cultural laws. We have laws about sick people, poor people, slaves, neighbors, and the list could go on and on and on and on and on. There's agricultural laws. What you can do with an animal. What you should do, plant in your fields. Whether or not you can plant two different types of crops in one field or not. All kinds of laws. We have laws about what we can say and not say. There's laws about resting. I said that already. We have laws about how we work and when we can work. And listen, the list could go on and on and on, and on, and on. Now Deuteronomy chapter 27, in verse 26, says this. Cursed be he that confirmeth not all. All the words of this law to do them. Ooh. All. We have a responsibility to fulfill all. James chapter 2 and verse 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Anybody feeling like nothing right now? That's the point of the law. That's the point of the law. God requires that all of the laws are obeyed. Every single one of them. Hear me again. God requires that all the laws are obeyed. God requires that everything is completely and utterly obeyed to a T. Every jot, every tittle, fully. Everything. Because that's what God desires. That's the holiness of God. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12, the Bible says, And now Israel, what doth the Lord the, what the Lord thy God require of thee, but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, 
And he doesn't stop there. To keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. You see, God requires that we keep the commands of the Lord. That's God's requirement. That is what God desires. So you might be sitting here thinking, it's impossible to obey them all the time. Why would God give us that? Why would God give us so much to do, something that's absolutely and entirely impossible? Exactly. That's the point. God wants to show you that you can't. God wants to show you your complete and utter inability. Your complete and utter inability to match up to him. He wants to show you that no matter how hard you try, no matter what you give, you will always fall short. You are guilty. You can't do it on your own. Then we see in verse 20 of Romans chapter 3. Turn back there with me. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. The Bible says this, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Remember, the law was given so that every mouth would be stopped and all would become guilty before God. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Notice that no flesh is justified in his sight. Not by the law. There is no justification in the sight of God for any man through the law. It is impossible to abide by every single law. That God gave. It's impossible. By the way, Old Testament history, this is why sacrifices were there. Because people didn't obey the law. They broke the law. They broke the law of God, and so what they have to do? They had to sacrifice. The sacrifices were to pay the debt of sin. What's the debt of sin? The wages of sin is death. Something had to die to pay for the sin of the people. They could not keep the law. They would not keep the law. And so something had to die in their place. We know that there's the burnt offering and that there was the, the heave offering and the wave offering. And there's all these different offerings brought forth because something had to die. Each person had committed sin. Each person could not fulfill the law in its entirety, so each person had to sacrifice. Because no one could be justified by the deeds of the law. Every sin that was committed needed to be paid for. Hear that again. Every sin that was committed needed to be paid for. And so it needed to be paid for by a sacrifice. The Old Testament law was placed upon the Jewish people. It was placed there to show the whole world sin. 
Notice at the end of this verse, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law was given to show sin. I want you to think back to uh, Genesis. God gives them a command. Out of all the trees of the garden, thou mayest freely eat but one tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, you're not allowed to eat of that one. Guess what they do? They sin. God told them not to, and they did it. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Then we have Moses' law that comes in. Right? And there's all these different rules, and it's created for to show us sin. Sin means to miss the mark. Sin means to miss the mark. And hear me, every person in this room, every person that's ever been in this room, every person outside of this room, every person that's ever been outside of this room has missed the mark. We can't do it. We are all guilty before God. We've all missed the mark. Hear me, without the law, we would have no idea what sin is. It's, if you will, it's the rules of the game. And we are playing to the glory of God, and this is what God requires. And all of us are down here and we cannot we cannot play the game by the rules. My kids are really good at this. My kids are good at telling me about a new game that they've gotten at school and learned. The first one I remember is a game called Gagaball. Goofiest name I've ever heard in my life, but nonetheless that's what it's called. Gagaball. And so they're like, Dad, all you have to do is not get hit by the ball. I'm like, so kind of like dodgeball? They're like, yeah. I'm like, okay. And so they're, they, they hit it at me. They don't throw it at me. They hit it at me. So I dodge it. And so I'm like, I get to hit it back, right? Yep. I smoke it back at him. And I hit him like in the chest. And I'm like, you're out. He's like, nuh-uh, nuh-uh. And I'm like, why not? It's like, because it's only knees and below. Oh, okay. So now I'm, I'm like, you're, you, you got to tell me this beforehand. I said, are there any other rules? Nope, that's it. Okay. So the next time I, I dodge the next one and I bounce it like this and then hit it. And they're like, you cheated, you cheated, you cheated. I'm like, what do I do now? You're not allowed to hit it twice. You're only allowed to hit it once. Okay, are there any other rules? So playing one-on-one, I got the rules. We go out to camp at Camp Yes, and we're play- they have a gagaball pit, and there's a bunch of people playing. And I, I forget what I did, but I hit it at somebody, and I, everybody just, you're out, you're out, you're out. And I'm like, why am I out? I don't remember the rule, but I didn't know the rule. Listen. Without the law, there is no knowledge of sin. The law was given to us to help us see our depravity. To help us see how guilty we are. To help us see that we, in in our own eyes, as much as we want to try, we're not going to flatter ourselves. We have to absolutely lie to ourselves. Because the Bible shows us and is so clear that we're all guilty before God. No matter how hard we try, we can't measure up. There is not one 
person in this world that has ever walked this earth that has kept the entire law except for Jesus Christ himself. We all fail. In fact, write it down. It is impossible. It's impossible. But here, I love this. I felt like I've spent so many weeks just to get to this point. When something is impossible, that's when Jesus steps in. When something is impossible, that's when Jesus steps in. And we need to see the depth of our sin, but the reality is here is where Jesus steps in. Um, Verse 21, if you'll look there with me. The Bible says this, But now, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. We're going to spend a whole lot of time going through the next several verses, but I want you to understand, now, you've been trying to do it this way all your life. You've been trying to live a righteous and godly life. You're trying to obey the law. You can't do it. You're wicked. You're vile. It affects every part of your life. You can't measure up. You are all guilty, and the law was given to us for that. But now, but now is the righteousness revealed. Jesus Christ, you can see in verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. I I feel like I've spent so much time here on sin. I've spent so much time and I hate the bad news. I want to get right to the good news. But the reason I've spent so much time here on sin is, well, first of all, because Paul did. But I believe so often as Christians, we really forget how truly important each and every sin is. We forget how truly devastating each and every sin is to our relationship with God. We don't measure up. We are all guilty. We are all wicked and vile. We get so lax with sin. We get so comfortable with it. But we are going to stand before God completely and utterly guilty. And listen, I I want you to introspectively look at your life tonight. As you sit right where you are, but if you were standing before God today, what would he say about you? By, by sin's standard, we're all guilty. But here, this is, this is, that's true. But how does your sin affect your relationship with him every day? What are you going to, when you go home, what are you going to do that's going to affect negatively your relationship with him? That's how we ought to be viewing sin. Not, ah, it's already been paid for, God's merciful. Listen, those things are true, but my, have we taken a careless, disrespectful attitude toward our sin. Sin is serious. Sin is rampant. We stand before God completely and utterly guilty. There is nothing that we can do to justify ourselves before God. Nothing. But as the song says, Mercy stepped in. Mercy stepped in. 
and Jesus is his name. Tonight, my main goal is to draw your attention to the lowliness of man and the great, great love of God. If you get nothing else tonight, please get this. We should be extremely thankful to God for his great love because of how horrible we are, because of how lowly, because of how, really, if I'm going to use another D word, how disgusting we are. And I ought to do nothing but drop us to our knees in humble reverence and in awe-inspired glory of who God is. God is amazing. I did want to show you this last verse. But God, Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were low, stinking, rotten sinners, Christ died for us. I'm so excited to start to get into the fact that Jesus is, has taken care of our sin. But we need to realize who we are. And listen, as, you talk, as you're talking to people, you know what? We're no better than they are. We're in the same boat. We, we've, we've heard, you know, for years say, but by the grace of God, there go I. And we, sometimes we say it so flippantly. But the reality is that's so true. The grace of God, Jesus Christ, is the only good thing about us. Sin runs rampant everywhere. And guess what? People need this love of Christ. Jesus died for them too. Jesus died for them just as much. And as you're talking to people, listen, they have to see that they're a sinner before they ever need a Savior. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 1. They are without excuse. They are inexcusable. And they are guilty before God. I hope this has been a help to you. I hope this will help you as you look at your life in your sin. And I hope it will be something that will challenge you even in the days ahead. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you do for us. Father, we're so grateful for your word and the truth in it. And Father, I, I pray you would help us to put the pieces of this puzzle together and really truly realize how awful we are, but how good you are. How lowly we are, but how much love you've given. And so, Father, we pray tonight that you would change our lives because of what we've learned from your word tonight. And, Father, that we would view our sin completely differently. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name.